I greatly admired Billy Graham. He preached the gospel in person to more people than anyone else in history. Uh, Let me tell you a little bit about my personal connection with the Graham organization in that for 40 years, my uncle Hank Bukema uh, was a crusade director for Billy Graham. And for 10 years in Chicago, I pastored the church, the only church that Billy Graham ever pastored. I've been part of five Graham crusades and attended two schools of evangelism, and I've seen God change countless lives through that ministry. And yet I would tell you today that that is not the most effective means of spreading the good news. When Christians are surveyed about how they were influenced to put their trust in Jesus, uh, crusade ranks uh, at the bottom of the list. If you uh, look at this, uh, it's just half a percentage were influenced to trust Christ through a crusade. Uh, Those who were visited in their home by someone, 1%. Those who attended a church event, uh, 3%. Uh, If you get really good and you get a pastor to talk to you, 6% were influenced in that way. But far and away, the most effective means of being influenced to Jesus Christ was by a friend or a family member. And I think that's astounding. The most effective means of going with the gospel is the interaction that you have with friends, uh, co-workers, family who sees Jesus in you. So with that in mind, I want to give you a, a very simple example for sharing the good news, and his name is Matthew. Uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, verse 9, it says, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he got up and followed him. Now the first thing that we learn about Matthew here is that he was a telones. That is the Greek word for a person who collected taxes from his own people. Uh, Tax collectors were despised in in ancient Israel, not admired like they are in our culture today. But in ancient Israel, they were despised, partly because they worked for the enemy. Uh, The government of Rome uh, was over Israel, oppressing them, and uh, collected taxes from them. And here's how that worked. Every few years, the Roman government would uh, put tax collection up for bid. And so a telones would pay Rome in advance for the privilege of uh, getting taxes from his own people. And so therefore, whatever he collected over what he paid the government was his own profit. And citizens had no choice but to pay the telones because they had the backing of the Roman army, the Roman government behind them. And uh, that's why the telones was hated, uh, put into the category of criminal, of adulterer, of liar. On Alfred Edersheim's classic work on the life and times of Jesus, he goes into great detail about the different kinds of telones that there were in ancient Israel. Uh, According to uh, Edersheim, uh, there are two major categories of tax collector of telones. One is the gabai, which was kind of a respectable one. It was certainly better than the other category, the mokis. That was the most despised, uh, according to Edersheim, uh, category of tax collector. That's because the mokis Mokis would invent tax on everything and anything. So when a Mokis stopped you, that meant unloading all your pack animals. It meant opening every single package and even opening private letters. And they would find ways to tax you on everything. The root meaning of the word Mokis means oppressor. And that's what they were doing to the people. They were oppressing the people. And to break it down even further, Edersheim says there were two classes of Mokis. 
the great and the small. The great Mokis wanted to keep a distance between himself and the dirty work he was doing, so he would hire somebody to sit at the booth and to collect and demand the taxes. That's the great Mokis. But the little Mokis didn't want to do that. He collected uh, for himself. The small Mokis did the collecting himself. He didn't pay a substitute to do it. He didn't mind looking you in the eye when he taxed everything you own. And the point of this is that that's what Matthew was. Not only was he a tax collector, but he was a moquise. Not only was he a moquise, he was the small moquise. The, the small, small moquise telones. That's Matthew at his own booth. So how shocking it was that Jesus invited Matthew to be a follower of his. Because any self-respecting citizen in Israel wouldn't have anything to do with a guy like Matthew. Um, even more shocking was that Matthew answered Jesus' call immediately. Immediately. Now, Jesus had been teaching in that area for some time. Matthew had undoubtedly heard his message. He'd seen his miracles, uh, but he hadn't responded to it. He hadn't done anything about it. Why? Probably because he assumed that as a moquise, uh, this message was not for him. It wasn't something that he could be a part of. But there suddenly is Jesus inviting Matthew to come follow him. And Matthew leaves everything behind. He immediately abandons his lucrative career. He left behind the money paid in advance to the government to be a tax collector, and he followed Jesus. Now, for the religious people who are watching this, this was just more proof that Jesus was no good. Uh, because, after all, uh, no self-respecting person would hang out with such low-life people as Matthew. Uh, but then things got worse. Next verse, Matthew 9, 10 and then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. So uh, let me fill you in. Jesus is at a dinner party, and we actually know whose house it was, because Luke in his gospel tells us that this is Matthew's house. That right after he decides to follow Jesus, Matthew throws a party at his house, and Jesus is there. And this would have been outrageous in the eyes of religious people. Uh, because here's Matthew celebrating his new life, and Jesus shows up, and, and who is there at that party but people that Matthew works with, people that Matthew knows, that is people just like him. And now there's another, do you notice there's another group of people there, not only tax collectors, telones, but sinners. And that's a word that is used to describe a group of people in that day whose ungodly lifestyle was obvious and common knowledge. So their ungodliness was obvious and un uh, uncommon, uh, common knowledge, rather. So these were the outcasts of polite society. These were the only kinds of people who would show up at, at Matthew's house, people just like him. Because what they had in common was that no decent person wanted to be seen with them. No God-fearing person would hang out with, uh, with tax collectors or prostitutes or known criminals. So I just imagine Matthew taking Jesus around to introduce him to the other guests at that party. Uh, say, Jesus, uh, this is Mary. Uh, Mary works at the corner of Jericho and Maine, and she's a very popular girl, if you know what I mean. Uh, and David, here's David. Uh, he's a nice guy, loan shark. Uh, nice as long as you pay on time, and if you don't, he breaks your knees. That's David. And there, there's Ruth. She's an addict, but she's trying to quit. Uh, I give her that. And Sam, he has a bunch of outstanding warrants. 
out, so we might get raided later. You never know. And Deborah, she's a dancer, but don't worry. She promised to keep her clothes on tonight. But next to you is Ben, and you notice he only has one hand because he was caught stealing. But he does still have pretty good skills, so keep a tight grip on your wallet, Jesus. Those are the kinds of people that were at this party, the only folks who would hang out with Matthew, and Jesus is there. And the disciples had to be extremely uncomfortable. They did not want to be there. I'm sure that, that Peter is saying, you know, Lord, I, you know, I got to get up early in the morning. We got a boat to launch, you know, so we need to get home, get some, I'm tired, you know, get some sleep. Or, you know, the Astros are on tonight. We got to get home, Jesus, to get to, to in that game. Uh, but, but Jesus stays because Jesus is comfortable with the unloved, the unwelcome, the unwanted. He's more comfortable with them than he is the religious folks. And this ticks them off. Uh, verse 11, when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? See, the Pharisees couldn't figure this out. This was exactly the kind of party that they would never attend. Uh, the Pharisees couldn't see anything wrong with themselves, and they couldn't see anything good about those who weren't like them. So they, they, they thought they were fine, and they couldn't see anything good about anybody else. And so how careful we must be not to make that same mistake in the name of being a Christian. Never forget that the gospel is not for good people. It's for people who know just how bad they are and how much they need Jesus. No one is saved who doesn't admit that they are dead in sin and lost apart from Christ. So that's crucial. Notice how Jesus responds, verse 12 and 13. But when Jesus heard this, he said, it's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus came to call sinners, to save sinners. You see, when God is the one who examines you, no human being is healthy. No one measures up. Everyone is sick, diseased with sin. But many people think they are healthy and better than the rest, and that was the Pharisees. Uh, like Pharisees, there are some people who don't believe they need healing. They don't see the need for a spiritual doctor. They don't realize that sin is a sickness that, that, that they have, and they condemn that sin in others. But see, the essence of the gospel is that unless you realize you're a sinner and desperately needy, you've missed everything. Unless you realize that you need Jesus, you've missed everything. None of us are worthy of God's love. None of us deserves His grace. And whenever we look down on others, no matter how bad they are, we've forgotten how lost we are apart from Jesus. And if you're always aware of the depths of your own sin and the greatness of God's love for you in Christ, then, then you won't isolate yourself from others who desperately need to hear the good news. Now, a couple of things I want to point out to you about Matthew. One is that Matthew invited Jesus in. He didn't just say, good speech, Jesus, that was awesome. Love the parables, that whole healing thing, pretty amazing. Uh, he didn't become a, a part-time religious person either. Say, that's good, Jesus, I'll see you in the synagogue on, on Saturday night. Right now i got to get back to work. No, he didn't do that. He followed immediately, left everything behind, totally, intimately. That's what salvation is. It's to fully embrace Christ, to trust in his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave to completely wipe away your sin and make you a child of God. And for those of us who are saved, those of us who have put our trust in Christ, we can allow our relationship to God, with God to drift, to
to grow cold, to become mechanical. And we have to guard against that. Like Matthew, we need to say, come on in, Jesus. I want to party with you. I want you close to me. I want to share life with you. I want to get closer to you and with you every day. Uh, Gary Thomas tells the story, and he says it's true. It's hard for me to believe this happened, but he says it's true. He says that there was a, a businessman who got on a, a plane and, and sat down next to a, a young man. It was a very crowded plane. And uh, uh, the businessman said, you know, why are you here? Where, where are you going? And the guy said, well, I, I just, I'm on my honeymoon. Just ended my honeymoon. And, and the businessman said, well, where's your wife? You're on your honeymoon? Where's your wife? He said, oh, she's a few rows back. The plane was full, so, so we couldn't get seats together. And the businessman said, well, I'd be happy to change seats with you so the two of you can get together. And the guy said, that's okay. I've been talking to her all week. That's a pretty sad commentary on a relationship. But it can also occur in our spiritual lives, can it? We can grow tired of and distant from God. How vital and intimate is your relationship with God? If it's rather lifeless, then you don't have anything to share with others. It's just religion. If it's just a formula, if it's just a routine, if it's just a tradition, then that's not something to pass along to others. I know a lot of churchy people who shouldn't share their faith in Jesus because they are so sour, so angry, so self-righteous. No one should want what they have at all. How much better when we have something real and genuine like Matthew invite Jesus in? The second thing I notice is that Matthew invited others in. This is where I too often fail. He called his peers over to the house. These are the folks he knew, worked with, identified with. And I think one of the biggest obstacles that Christians have is that after a while we only know other church people. Jesus was accused of exactly the opposite. He was called the friend of sinners. And the the people thought they were insulting him. But that wasn't an insult. That was Jesus' mission statement. He's a friend of sinners. Now two dangers that can happen to us when we're believers is that we can get close to Jesus, but not close to any unbelievers. Or the other danger is that we're close to unbelievers, but we're not close to Jesus. Both of those are wrong. We have to guard against that. Christ calls us to live among those who don't know Him, and never forget that we are all sinners saved by grace. I met a 28-year-old guy a few years back who had been dealing drugs. He was addicted to cocaine and alcohol, and God had miraculously transformed his life with the gospel. He transferred all his trust to Jesus. Uh, He turned from his sin. He accepted the good news that Jesus fully paid uh, for his sin by Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection from the grave. And so that that guy, as I talked with him, along with the joy that he expressed in, in, in accepting Jesus, something else he said has never left me. He said, I lost all my friends that day. I lost all my friends that day. So in other words, his transformation was so great that the people from his old life didn't want to hang out with him. And that happens sometimes. But the opposite shouldn't be true. We shouldn't be running away from every person who doesn't follow Jesus. We're not called to live in gated Christian communities. We're not called to put up a walled compound. And if you see that going up, it's a cult getaway. That's not what we're called to. Every one of us who knows Jesus ought to work at building relationships with those who don't know him. How powerful it would be if every person at Cypress Bible Church who loves Jesus developed a relationship with just one person who does not believe. Now here's what we can take from Matthew's example, and that is to go be 
the good news. Go be it wherever you are. In other words, host a party and invite Jesus. It could be a party for just one person or your block. It can just be doing something that you love to do, just making sure you're doing that with some other people who love to do it too. And bring Jesus. Now some of us have been Christians so long, we're not that good at parties. We show up and the music stops. The room clears. We can be too much like the Pharisees. But, but we can host a party and invite Jesus. You might say, well, wait, I'm no evangelist. I'm not gifted with... Well, listen, let me point out something to you. Matthew wrote this gospel we have in front of us today. He recorded the good news of Jesus, his experience with Jesus. But you know what? Nowhere in the Bible does Matthew speak. We don't hear a single word from Matthew's lips. There's no record of him saying anything. Now, of course, he said stuff, but not in the Bible. Now, most of the other disciples talk. Peter, we can't keep Peter quiet. We hear from John and Nathaniel and Thomas and Philip and Andrew and even Judas, but not Matthew. What did Matthew do? He threw a party and he invited Jesus. You say, well, I'm not good at parties. You know, we throw some parties around here and invite people too. I want to have you direct your attention to the screens of a party we threw just last week and uh, have you pay attention to that. So what we're going to do is we're going to go door to door, we're going to knock on the door, uh, we're going to explain who we are, hey we're with Cypress Bible Church, we're having a block party down here, uh, partnering with Hip Hop Hope. Hey I'm uh, Tony Svensson with Cypress Bible Church, I'm the uh, Go Pastor, and so we've been working here in uh, Andover for about five months now doing Second Saturdays, and so our goal is to come here, we do uh, block events, but uh, the goal really is to engage the community with the gospel, uh, give them opportunities to be exposed to discipleship, start Bible studies in the community. And uh, so we've got uh, several communities, uh, several homes that have opened up for Bible studies, so we're hopefully about to start that this next week. And so we just sent a team out to go door to door. We're praying for each home, uh, sharing the gospel with each home, uh, and the hopes to engage them with the gospel and invite them into uh, a Bible study. And so that's really our, our goal, is to eventually have a church plant here in this community uh, so that these, this community has access to the gospel, discipleship, and healthy church. I'm Elijah Robbins. I'm just here today to perform, give these people Jesus through hip hop. And uh, just have a good time. Hey guys, I'm Tyler, and I'm just here to share the love of Jesus. What's up, y'all? This is Robert. Uh, same. I'm here to serve, help see where I can fit in. I'm here to share the gospel and love on people as they come out. I'm out here to show the love of Jesus to as many people as I can.
So um, Eyes On Me loves to partner with churches, um, especially churches that want to go. Um, they want to go and reach communities. And so this Andover apartment complex is a place that they've already, uh, Cypress Bible Church has been reaching out to. And we're here to just provide some more um, support for what God is already doing. The beautiful thing in this is we come out and do Hip Hop Hope. Uh, we get the opportunity to, 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 you know, crank up the music, draw people in, and they follow up. They get to follow through. And that's the kind of partnerships we want with churches that will use us for what we can do best and then follow up with those that come to Christ or those who want to be discipled. And that's what Cypress Bible Church is doing. They've been fully trained in sharing the gospel using the three circles. We're all part of the No Place Left movement. We want to establish God's kingdom and uh, his rule and reign in every zip code possible in Houston and surrounding areas and all to all the ends of the earth. Shoot a shot. Coming in. I think we turned it up though. I'm yeah. not gonna lie. It was turned already though, because them kids was dancing. Yeah. But yeah. we just brought some more energy into it, you know? We love I like the company. Yeah. The company was great. What would you like to see in the future? Um more, more people. Just this same same this, just more people. Just more people. <laughs> well, just tell me if you liked it or you hated it. I liked it. I had fun. Well, this has been an amazing day. We've got to interact with a lot of uh, people and uh, further uh, deepen our relationship with them so they trust us. And, and I think that we've seen a huge response to the gospel. Uh, a lot of these kids are back here asking all kinds of questions about God and eternal life. Uh, so we've got all their, their contact information. We're going to follow up with the parents. Uh, and hopefully we'll see two or three Bible studies started in this community. And, and we'll see church happen right here in Andover Apartment Complex. So you can host your own party or you can join one of ours. We're doing that again uh, second Saturday in November. And uh, just be part of it. You hear that what, what, what one guy said, uh, what do you want to change or what do you want to do here? We just want some more people do the same thing. So come out and join that party. And uh, Jesus, we're bringing him with him and sharing the good news. Uh, I don't know if you heard Tony there. Uh, Twelve uh, young people uh, prayed to trust in Jesus during that event. And we're grateful for that. Thank God for what he's accomplished there. So whether it's a party or just sharing something you love to do with somebody else, go and be the good news. And let me remind you, you will be at least 10 times more effective with your friends and family than the greatest evangelist who ever lived. At least 10 times more effective. So as, as inadequate as you may feel, if you know Jesus, you love Jesus, just go and be Jesus in your world. Because when you remember how undeserving you are of God's mercy and how no one is beyond God's saving power, you represent Jesus well. Go and share that good news. We want to celebrate what Jesus has done around these tables this morning, the table of the Lord. I want to invite those who are serving to take their places right now, please. And uh, there are six tables, four at the front and two at the back. Uh, I think there are two opportunities at each table. Uh, in a few moments, I will invite you to, uh, to stand and uh, as you... Uh, uh, 
desire, if you're a follower of Jesus, to come forward to one of those tables to tear off a piece of bread as we remember his body given for us, the body that bore the weight of our sin, and then dip that bread in the cup, uh, that juice, the cup representing the blood of Jesus that was spilled out for us that we might have life. And so uh, let me invite you all to stand now and uh, let me pray and then I invite you to take a moment and go to one of these tables and receive from the Lord. Lord God, we thank you for your great love that was expressed in sending your son. Jesus, we thank you for your willingness to go even to the point of death on the cross that we might have life. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are with us right now empowering us to live for you. I pray that as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we remember the Lord's death until he come again. That this be what we feast on and feed on. That this keep our hope alive and our love fervent because you have loved us so much. We pray this in the precious name of our risen Savior, Jesus. Amen.